And we're talking this morning about a disease, sounds exciting, called leprosy. And leprosy, you say, well, that's an ancient disease. We don't have a problem with that in America now. Well, actually, um, in September, there was a case of leprosy, also known as Hansen's disease, in California. There's a school, uh, there was a couple students that have been diagnosed with uh, leprosy. And it was kind of a private thing. Nobody knew, exa- nobody knew exactly who it was. I mean, the doctors knew, but they wouldn't release the names because they were afraid of the repercussions of if people found out, that, you know, who, who it was that had leprosy because people are still are afraid of this disease. And rightly so. It certainly can spread very rapidly. Um, there's some debate. Is the, the leprosy of today the same as the, the leprosy we find in Leviticus in the New Testament uh, of the Bible and that you find in other places in the world has the there's, there was a couple different, several different strands, and so one of the strands looks more like the biblical leprosy, but we can certainly deduce some things that are important, and, uh, and there's some deeper pictures in leprosy, which was a legitimate disease, but there's some spiritual symbolism, some things there that are very interesting for us to understand when we, when we understand how they relate to us. And so Moses, recording God's law, as God's giving him the law, and the Levitical law specifically, God gave him some descriptions on how to deal with these diseases and other things. Again, we talked about last week, certain things would make you unclean, which meant ceremonially you could not come near uh, the camp. And so as the nation of Israel was encamped around the tabernacle, so you have a tent set up in the middle, and then you have all 12 tribes camped around the outside, the, the best place to be, the holiest place to be was closest to the presence of God. And the, the place that the presence of God was manifested was in the tabernacle. And so people would come and worship to the tabernacle and they would bring their sacrifices, their burnt offerings, their peace offerings, their fellowship offerings, their sin offerings, their trespass offerings. And they would come to worship God when they were uh, diseased or unclean for whatever reason. If they had touched a dead animal, if they had had a baby for women, if they had... Um, There's a variety of different things. If there was sickness, if they had leprosy, they were cut off from the nation until they were seen clean. Sometimes they would have to just stay home for seven days. Other times they would have to leave the camp and they'd have to go the outskirts of the camp and wait until whatever set time had passed and then they could be restored. And if they had leprosy, it was the worst situation because then you're just basically sent out to not come back unless the disease goes away or you're healed And then there was a ceremony that was given for them to be cleansed, to be restored and brought back into fellowship. And that's what we want to take a couple minutes to look at this morning. So if you flip in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 13, 13 gives the laws concerning leprosy. Chapter 14 gives the rituals for how it's cleansed. And so we'll kind of highlight some verses in each of these. But starting in chapter 13, verse one, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, When a person has a skin, has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be he shall be brought to Aaron, the priest or to the one one of his sons of the priest. And the priest shall examine the disease area on the skin of the body. And if the hair on the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, in that case, the leprous, uh, the leper, the leprous disease, when the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. But if the spot is white in the skin and the body and appears no deeper than the skin and the hair has not turned white, then the priest shall shut up the diseased person for seven days 
and the, the priest shall examine him on the seventh day. And if in his eyes the disease is checked and the disease has not spread in the skin, then the priest shall shut him up for another seven days and the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day. And if it has not spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. If only an it is only an abrupt abruption and he shall cleanse. He shall wash his clothes and be clean. And if the eruption spreads in in the uh, skin after he has shown himself to the priest for his cleansing, he shall appear again before the priest. The priest shall look. And if the abruption has spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a leprous disease. When a man is afflicted with leprous disease, he shall be brought to the priest and the priest shall look. And if there is a white swelling in the skin, and he has turned the hair white, then the and there is raw flesh on the swelling. It is a chronic leprous disease in the skin of his body. The priest shall pronounce him unclean. He shall not shut him up, um, for he is unclean. And if the leprous disease breaks out of the skin so that the leprous disease covers the whole, uh, all of the skin, the diseased person from head to foot, so far as the skin, uh, the priest can see, then the priest shall look. And if the leprous disease has covered all of his body, he shall pronounce him clean of the disease. It has all turned white and he is clean when the raw flesh appears on him he shall be unclean and the priest shall examine the raw flesh and pronounce him unclean raw flesh is unclean it is a leprous disease but if the raw flesh covers and turns white again then he shall come to the priest anyway you're getting an idea there Uh, by the way there is hand cleanser on the counter on the way out the door on the left and so if just even i know sometimes we talk about food it makes you hungry and you want to go eat something and when we talk about disease it makes you feel like maybe we should just pass the hand cleanser around and everybody just take a squirt just for good measure to make sure that we're there's no uncleanliness and disease being spread with us today in the uh, 21st century understanding some things about disease and the spread of disease and that we understand having to isolate somebody that's possibly infectious they didn't understand it to the extent there it's interesting that in god's law he gives them a way to keep just practically from disease spreading throughout the nation and, and destroying everybody. Uh, but uh, w- one of the things I want to note for you that I, I highlighted last week is that because somebody's unclean doesn't necessarily mean that they're sinful. Uh, sometimes you're unclean because you're sinful. Sometimes you're unclean because you just did something ceremonially un- impure and you just need to be set apart. And you cannot come into the presence with, um, with an, uh, in an unclean state. The only people that can come in the presence are those who are clean and those who are healthy and those who are whole. And so to come in, in fact, this seems harsh to us, but even if somebody had deformities, even if somebody had physical impairments, different things that were obvious that you looked at and you knew that they're, they're not healthy, they were not allowed into the presence of God. Somebody who's crippled couldn't come into the presence of God. Why would God do that? Because he's, he's showing them that if you're going to be my people, If you're my people, you have to be holy and you have to be clean and you have to be healthy. And if there is a lack of health, it could potentially be a sign of other things. And that is not going to be a welcome in my presence. This is in the book of Leviticus. Now, I want you to understand as we move through the Bible, because God is so distinct and clarifies these things, there's going to be times where God's grace is going to extend to those who are crippled, those who are diseased, those who are. And we could never appreciate the grace of God in those moments if we didn't understand um, the law of God in Leviticus. 
because God seems so harsh and mean here, which he's not, he's not changing, he's just showing this is how you relate to me. And so if you're going to come to me being unclean, you're going to need to come through grace and humility and repentance and faith. And uh, there's going to be, um, it's going to be my grace that, that allows you into my presence. And so there's some stories, if you want to look into this a little bit, look at the story of Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, who was crippled. David, when he was taking back the city of Jerusalem from the Jebusites, that to mock David and the Israelites, they put crippled people up on the walls of the city to mock them and to say, you know, you can't get the city. You're not going to get it from us. You can't even beat our crippled people. We can't even. Well, that made David so mad that when he finally took Jerusalem, he would not allow anybody who had physical disabilities to be in, in Jerusalem. They weren't allowed. Part of that's because of Leviticus. Part of that's because of because of his response to the Jebusites and how they mocked him. But later, his best friend, Jonathan, son of Saul, who died around the same time as father, he decides one day after Jonathan's dead, is there, is there any family members of Jonathan that I can show kindness to? Typically, when a new king comes in, they would have the freedom to kill all of the descendants of the previous king so that they wouldn't come back on them. And he asked, is there anybody that I can show favor? And there was one son that was still alive, and his name was Mephibosheth, and he lived outside the city, and he was crippled. And so when, when David hears of this, he sends to Mephibosheth, and he brings him in his family. He adopts him in his home, and he gives him a place at his table. And he is given the rights of anybody else, the freedom, the access to David and to God and to the temple and the way that anybody else would have and fully restored. And that's the picture of the grace of God. And so lest we think God's mean here, understand that you can't appreciate God's benevolent grace poured out through David to Mephibosheth if you don't have the Levitical laws and understanding of what's clean and what's unclean. God has defined, he's holy, and he is clear on what's clean and what's unclean, and these diseases are unclean. So a couple things to look at. Verse 3, we see that if it's deeper than the skin is one of the things to look at. If the disease goes, it's not just surface level, but it goes deeper than the skin, then we know it's it's a leprous disease, the person is unclean. And and so uh, a a second thing, so is it deeper than the skin? Second, if it spreads, verse 7, he mentioned if, if they shut the guy up and seven days later comes back, you know, we don't see any spreading, then you put him away for seven more days, comes back, no spreading, then he's fine. If during that period of time it spreads, then he's unclean. Now it's, it's growing and it's going deeper and it's a problem. So if it's, if it's deeper than the skin, number two, if it spreads, then he's unclean. And then in verses 44 and 46, fast forward, we haven't read those yet, but 44 says, he is a leprous man. He is unclean. The priest must pronounce him unclean. The disease is on his head. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So not only do they look to see if it is um, if it is deeper than the skin, if it spreads, but is it defiling? Is it the potential of defiling? And if so, he needs to be isolated. And so defiling, if uh, the reason he was to they were to share shout unclean is if you saw a person coming to you, you wouldn't know if they had a disease or not. But if they have their hand over their mouth, which, again, we understand because of the spread of of uh, disease and sickness this would be great in the flu season if people that had flu like symptoms in fact um, we have some signs up in front of our kids doors so you know if there's certain symptoms fever nausea whatever you know don't bring your kids that morning they could be sick and even better if you come in when you get on the parking lot you're coming from your car if you could just shout unclean as you cross 
the parking lot come through the door or whatever, that would help us know to, to kind of keep a, a distance from you. And so that would be great. And we want to always obey the word, not just be hearers, but also doers. So, um, but truthfully, somebody's walking down the, the street and they're shouting, unclean, unclean. And that warns people to stay away. And they had to do that because that's what they were called to do, to keep their distance so that the disease wouldn't cost, wouldn't defile other people. But in doing that, it also isolated them. They were cut off from their family. They were kicked out of their home. They lost their home. They lost their possessions. They lost their um, sense of community. And they were ostracized and kicked out of the village, out of the nation. They had to live outside of the camp, which is the reason why they would tear their garments and mess up their hair. They were, that was a sign of mourning and grief. When somebody died, you would do those things. And in their situation, it was almost worse than death. It was like they were alive, but they were treated as if they were dead. And so they were to be in a state of mourning because of the effects of sin. To be diagnosed with leprosy was to experience a living death. To, the leper was to wear torn clothes, let down their hair, making their appearance that of one who is mourning. The leper lost their home and possessions, were cut off from their family, friends. When approaching others, they had a covered lip, shout unclean. So they were sent outside, banished with the sinners and with the impure. There was a place, this also a place where capital punishments would be carried out. When somebody was killed because of um, getting caught in adultery or doing some grievous sin in the, in the nation, they would be carried out there and they would be killed. That's where these people live now. The lepers are out there. Lepers were sent away so they wouldn't defile other people. As the Lord dwelled in their midst, they wouldn't misrepresent the Holy God. They were far from the presence of God and even his people. And one, when uh, one considers how lepers were cut off from the people and the blessings of the covenant, it's not surprising that they would mourn as though they were, uh, as, though, as though there was a death. In fact, this is a quote from one commentator. In fact, physical destruction was not the immediate consequence of the fall, but exclusion from Eden with the loss of all the benefits associated with it, the followers of God were cut off from the presence and the uh, enjoyment of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned, which is to bring this back around to the spiritual images. I don't know if you've noticed looking at these, but all of these traits of the disease are the same traits that are true of what sin does to us. You see sin in our lives. You see somebody respond in anger. You see somebody respond a little privately. You see somebody respond in an inappropriate way. And the reality is what they're doing is just on the surface. If you look a little deeper below the skin, there's some deeper issues going on there that they don't see and, uh, and others might not see. But the disease goes far deeper than that. Sin is always deeper than what we see. It's always the tip of the iceberg. What's exposed is always the beginning of there's deeper issues down there way below the surface that are going on. It's not what goes into a man that defiles him, Jesus said, but it's what comes out. It's our hearts that make us wicked. It's not the stuff we eat or we drink or even what our skin is like. It is deeper than that. It's deeper than the skin. Sin spreads. It corrupts other people. It spreads. It defiles us. It cuts us off from God. And sin also isolates us. You know, I, I can't have a right relationship with you. You can't have a right relationship with me. Uh, we're, here we are moving into Thanksgiving and Christmas, and many of you guys are moving into a time of awkwardness because the holidays is a reminder that some of your relationships with family members aren't what they used to be. Sometimes uh, it, it's a reminder that we're isolated from people because of sin, because of um, just life. We, we end up getting cut off because of misunderstandings and miscommunication and and hurtful things that are said and where it separates us it isolates i mean good not look at the state of our country right now people are 
dividing over stupid things and, and divisions are abundant. Why? Ultimately, it's not politics, it's sin that divides people. When I look at everybody else, I understand that they are created in the image of God with purpose and with dignity and with worth and with value. It doesn't matter what their ethnicity, what their socioeconomic, what their politics, what their education level is. It doesn't matter about their sexuality. It doesn't matter about the junk in their life. It doesn't matter about, um, you know, what's going on. None of the other stuff matters. I can look past all of the surface stuff to know that they're created in the image of God and I can love them despite that. I can look past the sin, other stuff, but sin separates, it isolates us, it, it, it makes us um, mistrusting of our fellow man and woman. The last thing on this note is uh, verse 52. It is fit for the fire. Fit for the fire. Verse 52 of chapter 13 says that it shall, he shall burn the garment or the wrap or the woof, the wool or the linen or any article made of skin that is diseased or that touch skin uh, for it is a persistent leprous disease, it shall be burned in the fire. So whatever sin corrupts, whatever touches, whatever it's been about, it just needs to be taken and thrown and destroyed. And again, there's an eternal fire that will ultimately deal with sin. You say, why does God allow bad things to happen? Why does God allow the effects of the fall in the world that we live in? Why does God allow? Because God's being patient. He's being very patient to allow time for people to repent and be restored and to be in a right relationship with him. But understand, one day, he will remove that which defiles and sin will no longer corrupt and all of it will be thrown into a fire where it will burn forever. It's going to be fit for the fire. The disease that we see around us will be taken away. A.A. Bonner, a Puritan writer, pastor, uh, he wrote this. He said, Leprous, leprosy is also corrosive and it penetrates unseen, almost unfilt till it wasted the substance like sin in the soul eating its own eating its beauty and its very life while outwardly the sinner moves as before so does sin at length deface the whole image of god and every faint vestige of comeliness that was left so what he's saying is on the surface uh, sin is deeply below the skin is corrupting and is destroying, even though the person, one of the things with leprosy is it deadens the nerves. And so even though the person, their body is literally falling apart, they don't feel like it's really bad. They don't feel the effects of it. Visible, it's visible, but it doesn't necessarily hurt. And sin is the same way. Sin, if we're just honest here, most of the sins that we all battle, it, you know, in the moment, they're great. We don't sense and we don't think about the long-term effects and the consequences of sin. There's very few sins that we would ever partake in that, you know, in, even if it's um, regardless of what, what it is, that is not enjoyable. That's what makes it so contagious. The enemy knows how to bait the hook to destroy us, right? And our flesh has just a propensity that we want to go after the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the boastful pride of life. We look for the fruit that we think is going to fulfill us even though God says stay away from it, it will bring destruction and we chase after it, not thinking about the long-term effects of these decisions and the things we're pursuing and the things that we're embracing and the things that we're ingesting and the things that we're filling our hearts and our minds and our lives with. And so sin on the surface doesn't really feel bad, doesn't really feel, well, how could this be wrong if it feels so right? How many times have we heard that? And yet all the while, it's destroying the image of God in us. It's destroying 
uh, the image of God and the um, wholeness and the health of our spiritual walk and of even our physical lives, defacing the beauty of God in his people. So is there any hope? Well, here's the neat thing about this. Uh, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 8, in Luke chapter 5, we'll just look at one of these examples. Let's, let's look at the Luke one. Luke chapter 5, verse 12. And one of the things I think he loved to do is he loved to send a steady stream of lepers having been cleansed to the priest. Because the priest would have been the guy that would have diagnosed the person and said they're unclean, would have taken their home from them, taken their possessions from them, sent them outside the camp. And then they come walking back in, not saying unclean, saying, hey, I've been cleansed. He checks them out. Indeed, you have been cleansed. What happened? Oh, Jesus uh, of Nazareth, he, uh, he cleansed me. And he told me to come fulfill the law of Moses. And so I'm here to get checked out. And so verse 12 of chapter 5, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he begged, he fell on his face and he begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him, saying, I will be cleaned. And immediately the leprosy left him and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. Interesting right there. If you have a pen, you might even want to underline it for a proof for them, for proof to them. And now even more than but but now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to him to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and to pray. So what was going on? What was the cleansing ceremony that he was given? How could somebody be cured if they have been cleansed? If this disease has gone away, how could they be restored? And if they have been healed? Well, first of all, the priest goes to the leper. Priest goes to the leper. That's in chapter 14, verse one. The, the leper's barred from the camp, so the leper's not allowed to come back in. The priest has to go to him, goes out to the leper and examines him and then begins to go through these steps of cleansing. And so understand, the leper's barred from the camp. Likewise, Christ died outside of the camp, according to he- Hebrews chapter 13, verse 10. Jesus didn't die inside the Jerusalem. He had to go. He was kicked outside the camp where people were capital punishment happened. Jesus left the camp to become the covering for our sins, to shed his blood as a covering, the atonement for our sins. We are also cut off from heaven, but Christ left his glory and he came to us. Second Corinthians eight, verse nine. And so the priest offers a sacrifice for them in verses uh, four through seven of chapter 14. We're given some description of this. It says that the priest shall command them to take for him and to be cleansed two live clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop. The priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in the earthenware vessel over the fresh water. He shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and then dip them in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him, who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go into the open field. And he who is cleansed shall be washed, shall wash his clothes, shave his head, bathe himself in the water, and he shall be considered clean. So what he's doing is he's taking two pieces of wood and he takes the two pieces of wood and puts them together and then wraps some scarlet red yarn around them or red thread around them and takes some hyssop which is kind of like a paintbrush and puts that and also wraps that in and then they take two birds and one of them they kill and they pour its blood in one of the bowls with the water and then they take the other bird who is alive and they sprinkle the 
blood and water on the alive bird, and they also sprinkle it on the leper who, former leper who's being um, cleansed in the ceremony, and they then release the bird to fly. Someone once said, what happened to the bird when, it rele- when they released it? Did, did you hear anything? And, you know, no, I didn't hear anything. And then one of the people said, you know, I'm pretty sure I heard him singing a song. What, was it? what were they singing? Well, I could hear him singing as he flew away, redeemed, redeemed, redeemed. And so that blood and the water was sprinkled on the leper, covered him, and symbolically, uh, we saw him as being cleansed. Sin had been eradicated and his impurities had been cleansed and he was now restored. So the priest goes to the leper. The priest partakes in a sacrifice that looks awful like something that's about to happen. Jesus does this and tells them to go to the priest and do this of this uh, sacrifice as a proof to them, right? Well, days later, years later, months later, they're going to find themselves crucifying Jesus and he's going to be put onto two pieces of wood and blood is going to flow from that object and it's going to provide a covering for their sins. And this image pictured in this beautiful, simple little sacrifice with two birds is going to display, is displaying and pointing, foreshadowing the glory of the cross of which is about to happen when these lepers are coming to Jesus and he is cleansing and cleaning them. So the priest offers the sacrifice. The leper is washed and then has to wait for seven days. This is interesting because even though you have been forgiven, even though you have been cleansed, even though you have been justified, if you've repented and trusted in Christ, you're not without sin any anymore. You still have the presence of and the effects of sin in your life. But there will be a day as we go through this process of sanctification, of becoming conformed to the image of Christ, where we're going to to die and we're going to be in the presence of God. And we'll be removed from the presence of sin, completely glorified. And at that point, it our salvation is complete. Not that it's hanging in a on a wire. We're not sure if it's going to happen. Oh, it's 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 a done deal. We just haven't experienced the full effects of that journey. And so we've been cleansed. We're just in a waiting period, waiting to be restored to the home that the Father has prepared for us in heaven. The leper washes and waits. And then the fourth thought here is the leper offers a sacrifice. After this, in verses uh, 10 through 13, he has a series of sacrifices that he has to offer a sin offering picturing his defilement but he has to offer a sin offering then he offers a burnt offering which is a picture of his renewed dedication to god he's to offer a trespass offering in the event that he has trespassed against anybody he is to offer that uh he is to pay for the debt that he incurred from the things that um he should have done in the period that he was cut off if he was if he was still in the presence of um, the people and, and serving god and living there's things that he didn't do that he should have been doing and he's because he was cut off. And so the trespass offering is paying for the things that he should have done that he wasn't doing. And so that was another part of that. So there's some of the sacrifices that he had to offer as he was brought back into right fellowship with the people. And then the last part of this, 15 through 18, well, 14 through 18. Let me just read this. Chapter 14, verse 14. The priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering and the priest shall put it on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed and on the thumb of his right foot and on the big toe of his right foot. Then the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it on the palm of his right hand and dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand and sprinkle some of the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And some of the oil that remains in his hand, the priest shall put on the lobe of his right ear of he who is cleansed and on the thumb of his right hand and on his big toe of his right foot on top of the blood of the guilt offering and the rest of the oil 
that is in the priest's hand, he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed. Then the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. And the priest shall offer the sin offering to make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his uncleanliness or uncleanness. And afterwards, he shall kill the burnt offering and the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. Thus, the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be clean. There's a lot happening. There's a lot of sacrifices. There is a lot of cost. And indeed, that is true of sin in our lives. But what a beautiful picture. When we think about the cross of Christ, it is no small thing that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. I mean, he has provided for you a payment for your sin that defiles, that corrupts, that's below the sin, that cuts you off from other people, that separates you, that creates disunity. He's paid for your sins on the cross. Not only has he paid for your sins, but he has provided righteousness because you and I are not ceremonially clean. We are defiled constantly we defile ourselves constantly we live in an unclean world and we are ceremonially unclean so not only do we have to pay for our sins but we're not really in a state of purity ever to where we fully can be in the presence of god and so we need jesus to pay for our sins on the cross and secondly we also need we need a a covering but we also need a righteousness the goodness the cleansing to pay for our uncleanliness god has provided that through the blood of christ And not only that, if that's not good enough, I feel like a salesman here. If that's not good enough, he's provided covering for our sins. He's provided a a cleanliness and a righteous goodness that we don't have in in ourselves and in providing restoration for us to have right relationships. Now, he is not only has he done all those, he's given us his spirit, which is pictured by the blood and the oil. And his Holy Spirit has been applied to us symbolically. The priest had to do this with their physical bodies. They put it on their ear. But the uh, lepers also, this is when the priests were sanctified and set apart for the service of ministry, they did the same picture with the blood on their ear, the thumb, and the toe. But the leper, interesting, when they were cleansed, had to go through the same image. And we, like them, are now able to hear and follow when before we couldn't. I mean, I tried to obey God, but I just couldn't on my own power. But now Jesus has paid for my debt and the fact that I don't obey. And he's given me his Holy Spirit to empower me to do what I couldn't do on my own. Secondly, Uh, He's empowered me to serve. And so blood was placed in their hands. And that's a picture of our serving. And now I'm free to serve other people with my hands and the hands that I would lift up. We talk about lifting holy hands to God, but our hands need to be cleansed because a lot of times we're just showing God the guilt that is on our hands when we lift them up. But they're cleansed and they're free. And now because of the blood and the Holy Spirit that empowers me, I can serve in an unhindered way. And then lastly, the blood and the oil on the right big toe was a picture of the fact that now not only can I hear God's word, am I receptive to his leadership of the spirit of my life? Not only can I serve as I once could not, now I can also walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5 says, if you walk in the spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. It's impossible to sin if you're being controlled by God's spirit. You can't sin if you're being controlled by God's spirit. Now, the reality is the, the, the indwelling sin in our life is so deep that it will always be a battle until we're glorified and we the time of waiting is done and we are enter into the eternal dwelling place that God has for us. But nonetheless, we know that we don't have to sin. You sin because you choose to. We sin because we refuse to live with the empowerment that is available to us. God has made a way so we can hear, we can do, and we can walk in his ways.
Kids, we've been talking about being cleansed from leprosy, and leprosy was a disease, kind of like the cold you get or the flu, but it made you really sick, and it was really contagious, and it could really hurt a lot of people. And so when we had leprosy, had to get, they had to get kicked out of the, the village, uh, out of the camp, and they had to live away from the community so they wouldn't infect other people. And that's the way our sin is in our hearts, in our lives. When we sin against God, it corrupts and it hurts other people and it hurts our relationship with our mom and dad and with one another and with our family and our friends and other people. And so we need Jesus Christ to be cleansed from the disease of sin that condemns us, that ultimately deserves, uh, because it corrupts us, we deserve to be thrown into a fire, to be uh, burnt with um, and to be killed because of the sin in our lives. But yet God has provided grace through the blood of Christ that we could be forgiven and right with him. And so that image that I left you with a moment ago, as we talked about being able to hear and follow and power to serve and walk in his ways, the ear, the thumb, and the toe, the foot. Uh, I want to give you a couple thoughts. There's an Old Testament. There's several people that had leprosy and were cleansed. Moses, for instance, was given leprosy as a sign. I don't know if you remember this. In Exodus, he was given the staff to put down. It would turn into a snake, and he would pick it back up, and it would turn into a staff again. Another way to show Moses that, or to show Pharaoh that he was God, he would put his hand in his shirt, his cloak, and he'd pull it out. It would be leprous. And everybody would be, ah, leprous. You know, he's a leper. And then he would put it back in, and he would pull it out, and it would be clean. Again, to show that God has, God has power over all disease and whatever. That was another sign God gave Moses to show Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, um, that he was powerful. But then you find um, other people throughout the Old Testament would, would come down with leprosy for v- various reasons. Uzziah, for instance, the king who in the beginning of the book of Isaiah, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord high and lofty and exalted. Well, Uzziah thought that he was not only a king, but he could be like a priest and he could wander into the temple as the priest did in the presence of God if he wanted to. And God struck him with leprosy. And because of that, he died because of that. But there's another guy who was a, uh, a man. His name is Naaman. And Naaman was not an a Israelite. He was not from the nation of Israel. He was not from the people of God. He was a Gentile, um, non-Jewish person. And in 2 Kings verse uh, chapter 5, verse 17 through 19, we find, or in chapter 5, we find the story where Naaman, um, who was a, uh, believed in the one true God of the Israelites, he was a God-fearing man. He comes to seek help because he had heard from a little girl, uh, slave girl, that, that there was a God in Israel who could, for, who could cleanse him and heal him. And so he goes on a journey to Jerusalem and he meets um, Elisha and his servant Gehazi. And Elisha comes and shares with him about the one true God. And he tells him that, look, if you want to be healed, what you need to do is go dip yourself in the Jordan River. Well, he's a military man. He's a, he's a powerful man. He's thinking, what, what, we have better rivers than you have here in our home. I can just go dip myself in a river seven times there if that's going to heal me. And he's, oh, that's not going to work. You, you, can, you have to come to the Jordan River and you have to dip yourself in the river here to be healed. You have to do it the way God says. This is the way God says you can be healed. And so he humbles himself and he does what God has told him to do through Elisha, the prophet. And in doing that, he's healed. And he is cleansed from his leprosy. And so this is where it gets really interesting. In verse 17, it says, Now Naaman said, For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. So you see repentance and faith and a submission to the Lordship of God. There's one true God, and I'm not going to sacrifice to other gods anymore. But here's the problem. Naaman had to go back to a pagan people, to a pagan ruler, to a pagan kingdom. And so he says, when my master goes into the house of Rimon, who's their false god, to worship there, leaning on my arm, I, and I bow myself in the house of Rimon, when I bow myself in the house of Rimon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. 
He's saying, I'm not going to sacrifice to him, to their God, and I'm not going to do it. There's only one God, and I'm going to worship and surrender. But as part of my duties and my loyalty to this guy, I need to go in, and I have to go with him when he goes in the house of his God, his false God. And so I still need to go through these steps and do this. Will God find mercy on me? Will God pardon me? Will God have, what, how would you respond to that? Most of us would be quick to say, well, you just need to cut yourself off. You need to stand at the door and say, I'm not going to worship any false gods. I'm not coming in. Your God is a false fraud God and you can't go in and you can't. What does Elisha say to him? Here's what Elisha says. Go in shalom. You go with the shalom of God. You go with the peace of God. What does that mean? We talked weeks ago about the peace offering and the shalom of God is the fullness and the wholeness and the health of God, the salvation of God, the peace of God, that we're no longer enemies of God. But it's more than just not being enemies of God. It's, it's having wholeness. It's being unclean and now we're clean. It's being diseased and now we're healed. It's being impure and now we're pure. It's being sinful and now we're forgiven. The shalom of God is the wholeness and the fullness and the purity of God. So you, Naaman, are going to take the peace of God back to a lost people that are far from you, and you're going to take the blood on your ear and the blood on your thumb and the blood on your toe. You're going to take the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the oil on your right ear and the oil on your thumb and the oil on your toe, and you're going to go with the cleansing of Christ and his blood and the sacrifices that have been shed to cover your sin. And you're going to go with the empowerment of God's Spirit with you, and we're going to place you there to bring the peace of God to a place where it would never go and it would never, people who would never hear it and never see it apart from us sending you. And so you go with the peace of God. What was it like to be a leper and to lose everything and then suddenly be restored and then to walk out of the temple with the blood on your ear and the blood on your thumb and the blood on your toe? Don't you think it would have been amazing? Don't you think that they would have, you know, kind of been walking like this? Want everybody to see? And here we are. We live in a day and age where we try to make it private. And we try to, it's my relationship. It's personal for me. It's whatever. And we try to, and we're afraid to declare the goodness of God. We're going to sing a last worship song. And you have an opportunity to, uh, if you feel led, to take a challenge. You have been forgiven. And God has provided blood. And he has provided the, the Holy Spirit for you. And, and, and we're not going to make you dip anything in, in blood or oil. I want to challenge you to go with the mark of Christ upon your life. And it's true that Jesus, we, he, he, the Holy Spirit's in us, and we go with that anyways. But I want to challenge you to, to physically go with the representation of Christ and to feel the feeling of the leper, feel the feeling of Naaman as we leave with the shalom of God, with the peace of God, to take it to people far from God. And so we're going to sing one last song of worship. And in this moment, at the three tables, there is a, um, there's a little can with some markers some markers and i want to ask you if you feel led you can mark your ear um you can mark if you don't want to do the ear that's fine you just want to do your thumb or you want to do your ear and your thumb um i don't expect people to be taking your shoes off or anything like that but but just mark on your thumb mark on your ear to represent that that christ has been he's provided peace for you that you were once cut off from god because of sin but now he's made you right and as you go to lunch today as you go see friends and family as you go understand you go with the mark of christ upon you when people go what is that on your ear what is that on your thumb what is it with your kids playing with the markers and they got you or what what happened what's going on you can say with them well it's actually just a just a reminder for me of how jesus has provided cleansing for my sin and i go with the peace of god and i'd love to share the peace of god with other people can i pray for you in any area if there's some that you need the peace of god the wholeness the health the, the healing of god in your life spiritually 
I was diseased, but God has now made me whole. And I have the peace of God through Christ. And I'd love to share that with you sometime, if I could share that story. I think it's an incredible picture for us to be challenged to go forth with the mark of Christ upon our lives. And so, again, as we did Lord's Supper, it's your leisure. As you sing, you can sing, you know, go grab a marker, thumb and or ear, and then uh, go back to your seat. And we'll finish as we worship the song together and we pray.